Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. All right, if you will take your Bible and go to uh, the book of 1 John, we're going to be in chapter 2, starting in verse 7. And this morning's message is really uh, part 2 of of last week. So we're still asking, or, or really more like answering the question, how can I know that, that I'm saved? And last week, um, John hit, the, hit hard the topic of obedience. So, so he, said, he would say that we, know, we can know we're saved by the way we live, by the, the way that we um, obey what Christ has commanded us to do, what God's commanded us to do in his words. So, so one way that that, that we, our lives give evidence to the fact that we are followers of Christ is, is through the way that we follow what, and are obedient to what God's said. Uh, but that's not all. So, so that, was, that was part of it. That was a big part of it, right? If, if, you, if you claim to be a follower of Christ, but, but consistently say, you know what, it doesn't matter how I live, or you're caught up in a consistent lifestyle that uh, contradicts the gospel, contradicts God's word, and you don't feel the least bit like hesitant or repentant about that, the Bible would simply say there's, there's some issues that you need to consider. Namely, uh, am I saved? Did I ever come to saving faith in Christ Jesus to begin with? So this morning we kind of shift gears, but under that same heading of how, how can I have assurance? How can I know for sure that I'm saved? And this morning, John's going to talk about our love, the, the love that we have for God, the love that we have for one another. And so if you will, um, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2, verse, beginning in verse 7, reading down through verse 11. And let's stand and let's read together the word the Lord has given us. The, the verses will be on the screen. So read along with me. It says this. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old command that you have had from the beginning. The old command is the word you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light but hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the word that you've given to us this morning. Will you give us ears to hear your word this morning? We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can have a seat. Now, John starts off, and, and I don't know if you picked up on that, but it, but it seems like he's... he's Maybe a little bit confused because in verse 7 he says, uh, I'm not writing to you a new command, but an old command that you've had from the beginning. And then he gets into verse 8 and he says, but I am writing you a new command. Well, which is it, John? Is it, a new, is it an old command or is it a new command? And the answer to that is yes. Say what? Well, so, so the, the fact that the, the command that he's giving us here is very simple, right? And, and that is simply this, that we are to love one another. That's the command he's getting at here. Right? So this is when he says it's not a new command, but an old command that you've had from the beginning. 
And, and if, you, if you notice here, he doesn't ever really say, uh, he doesn't ever come out right out and say, you should love one another. But he, he, he's saying, I'm writing to you a new command, and that is that, that whoever hates his brother walks in the darkness. Right? You know, so in other words, he's saying you cannot be a follower of Christ and hate. So, so the, what's the opposite of, of hate? It's love. And why does he say this is an old command? I'm not writing to you anything new. It's an old command. Well, what we're going to see is that Christ, made, Christ renews an old command. Christ renews an old command. So this is something that's very old. In fact, John says that they've had it from the beginning. From, from the very, and that probably refers to the very beginning of their lives as believers. You've had this command. And in fact, it's going to go way back before that. Because what we have is in the book of Leviticus, God telling the people this. He says, do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. It's in Leviticus. You go a couple of books later into Deuteronomy, and and the, the children of Israel are given this command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, if you're familiar with the message of Jesus, um, Christ combines these two into the greatest command in Matthew chapter 22. He says the greatest command is this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's an old command, comes way back in the law. Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and yet in Christ, these commands become new. Not new in, in speaking of time, right? It's not like they, they, were, they were brand new, that, that these people had never heard them before. In fact, remember that, that most Jews in the first century would have still had the entire Old Testament memorized. So, so when, when John's alluding to these, uh, to these commands, he's not telling them anything they don't already know, and yet... He's saying, you've heard these from the beginning, and yet there's a sense in which they need to be renewed in your life. So, so think of it much like the, the hymn that we sang this morning, Amazing Grace. It's an old song. And yet the, the, the version that we sang this morning what was done within the last 10 years. It's an old song that was, that was made new. That's what John's saying is, is happening with this command. It's an old command that's made new. In fact, um, 1 John 3.11, he says this, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, we should love one another. Right? So he's not saying, hey, I'm, I'm presenting brand new information to you. Rather, this is something you've heard, and yet it needs to be renewed in your life. And then in the book of 2 John, 2 John is just one chapter. So in 2 John verse 6, he says, This is love that we walk according to his commands. Okay, so we're supposed to walk according to his commands. What are those commands? And then he goes on and says, This is the command you have heard from the beginning, that you walk in love. So this command to love one another is as old as the law, and yet in Christ Jesus, this command was made new. In fact, Jesus is even going to put it this way in, in John chapter 13, in John's gospel. Jesus says, I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And look at this. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I think, I think Jesus is trying to say that we're supposed to love one another here. Maybe I missed it. I tend to be a little dense sometimes. But I think when he says it uh, three times in the span of two verses, 
He's trying to drill something into our skulls. That if we're followers of Christ, we're to love one another. Now, now notice what he says here, right? He says, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. Now, think about all the things that he could have put in there. Think about all the things that we tend to put in there, right? How will someone know if you're Christ's disciples? Well, well clearly, we'll believe the right things, right? If my, if my doctrine and my theology is correct, then people will know that I'm, that I'm a follower of Christ, Folks are certainly going to know that I'm a follower of Christ by how much Bible I can regurgitate, right? Like, like how, how, much, how much Bible knowledge I have that I can spit out at, at a moment's notice. Like, that, that'll prove to others that I'm, that I'm a follower of Christ, right? Or how about, hey, this is an old one from, from days past, right? Folks will really know I'm a believer in Christ by which translation of the Bible I carry around. And if the insert translation here was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me, right? That, that's, I know, I'll tell, them, I'll tell them about all the committees I serve on at church, and that will prove to them that I'm a disciple of Christ. And I'll prove I'm a follower of Christ, right? No. None of those things are bad, right? I hope that you are, uh, I hope that your, your belief about who God is, your theology, I hope that that's good. I hope that you're coming to know this book, the living word of God that he's given to us, that's sharper than any double-edged sword that the Bible says is living and active, working in our lives. I hope that you're coming to know this. I hope that you're hiding it in your heart so that I might not sin against God, as Psalm 119 tells us. I hope that you're serving in some capacity, right? There's a reason that we said we want to love, we want to serve, we want to give, because those are important parts. But listen, none of that should be the defining mark of your, of your life as a follower of Christ. And if you're defining your walk with Christ by any of these things, you're missing the point of, of what John's trying to command. Because he says here, Jesus is commanded, Look, by your love for one another, all men will know you're my disciples. In fact, in, in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, right? We read it at every wedding. Uh, you, you've, you've probably heard this. Like people who've never darkened the, the door of a church except for weddings and funerals have heard this passage. And, and look at what Paul says. Look at the way he starts it. If I speak human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains and do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all of my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Let me translate for you what Paul just said. It doesn't matter what else you have or what else you do. If you don't have love, you've missed the boat. And so while, while these other things are not bad things in our lives, in fact, many of them are, in fact, good things, things that we should be striving after, none of them replaces love for God, love for other people. There's a reason when the lawyer came up to Jesus and asked, hey, what's the greatest commandment in the law? If I, if I only had to keep one commandment, what would it be? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind. But wait, that's not all. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
fact, Peter's going to put it this way. 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all. Right? That means more important than everything else. If you can do nothing else, do this. Maintain constant love for one another since love covers a multitude of sins. Christ renews this old command. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, you know what, my, uh, um, I've, I've not been reflecting this very well. I've, I've not been re- reflecting this love very well. I know we're not at the end. I'm not giving the, the invitation, the altar call yet, but, but if that's you, t- take a moment, just confess. Say, say God, I'm, I'm not, I've not been the most loving person in, in the world. I'm, I'm falling short in this area. I need you to come do a work in my heart. So that my love for you and my love for others could increase. But but that's not all that Christ does. See, Christ comes in, not only does he renew an old command, but he removes an old characteristic. He's going to remove an old characteristic. Look at verse 9. I'm sorry, verse 8. No, verse 9. I can't, I can't read my own notes. Verse 9. The one who says he is in the light but hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now. Let, let's, be, let's be real clear here. The, the Bible leaves no room in the heart of a believer for hate of any kind. None. In fact, Jesus will come and, and he'll really turn what, what that whole love thing looks like. He'll turn it completely over on its head. And he'll go well beyond the letter of the law to the spirit of the law. He'll go beyond your external actions to your internal attitudes. So in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, um, Jesus says this, You've heard that it was said to your ancestors, Do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. Right now, now if you stop there, he's, he's referring back to Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments, one of which is do not murder. And if you see the Ten Commandments as like this, this holy checklist, and you get to that one, most of us will be able to check that off, right? Do not commit murder. Have I uh, No. Okay, good. Sweet. Score one. Right? I haven't killed anybody today. And, and so Jesus, but, but that's not where Jesus stops, right? So he says, listen, this is what you've heard. You've heard don't kill. And anyone who murders is going to be subject to judgment. He, but, but look, he, he takes it a step further. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother, maybe your translation says hates his brother or sister, will be subject to judgment. See, Jesus is saying, okay, so, so you haven't c- c- committed the physical act of murder. Good for you. But, but have you ever hated somebody in your heart? Have you ever been so angry with someone that you thought you might could just kill them? Because if you've ever had that experience, that kind of anger, experienced that kind of rage build up in you, you've already killed them in your heart. You just didn't lift up the knife or the gun. We don't have time to get into it. He does the exact same thing with lust. He says, you haven't committed adultery. Good, good job. Way to go. But if you've ever seen a man or a woman and lusted after them in your heart, you've, you've already committed adultery in, in your heart. See, the Bible and, and, and God are so much more concerned with your inward attitudes before they're concerned with your outward actions. 
Because you can conform externally to a list of rules without ever having your heart transformed by the gospel. And then not only that, like as if that wasn't crazy enough, right? Then so 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 if you've ever if you've ever hated someone, you've already murdered them in your heart and, and you're guilty, then then Jesus is going to take this a step further, just a few verses down. He says, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Like I said, he turns this whole love thing upside down. Because it's easy to love the people who reciprocate that love, right? It's easy to love those people that are loving to us. But how about those people who, who have nothing but disdain for you in their heart? Can you also love them? How are you at loving people that are not very lovable? So how did Christ model this for us? Well, we see it as he's dying on the cross, as he's giving his life in, in place uh, for you and for me. We see him praying for those that are putting him to death. And saying, don't, don't hold it against them. God, don't hold it against them. They don't, they don't even know what they're doing. However, more, more often than not, we end up living our lives like the man in this poem. Maybe you've heard this before. I don't have a source for it. It came in one of the commentaries that just said anonymous. That, that wise old guy, anonymous. That was a joke. Relax. <laughs> Listen to this poem. I do not like thee, Dr. Fell. The reason why, I cannot tell. But this I know and know full well. I do not like thee, Dr. Fell. You ever felt like that? I just don't like that person. Why not? I don't know. I don't like them. And I don't know why I don't like them, which makes me not like them even more. The Bible tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things. And listen, even, this is true even in the life of a believer, right? Sometimes sin will creep up into our heart and cause these actions and these attitudes that we don't fully understand, but, but that we still ha- wrestle with. That we, we can't just you know, say a prayer and all of a sudden hate's gone out of my heart. So sometimes, if, if, particularly if you've been holding on to something for a long time, man, listen, hate is, is a drug that will kill you from the inside out. Particularly when it comes to the body of Christ. Countless churches have been destroyed because their members refuse to let go of past hurts. And they let hurts, and they let some some sins, some legitimate sins, some legitimate harm that was done against them. But they take that and rather than forgiving and releasing, they, they let that devolve into bitterness and hatred. And, and, and the Bible would simply tell us we can't do that and still claim to be a follower of Christ. You can't hold on to a grudge without any desire to let it go and still claim to be a follower of Christ. So, so for this, I would ask simply this. Are you harboring bitterness in your heart towards someone? Maybe that person's in this room. Maybe not. You know, Jesus said in, in Matthew 5.23, again there in the Sermon on the Mount, he said that, that if, um, if you're giving your gift 
and you realize that your brother has something against you, he says, go and be reconciled to your brother. In fact, he says, leave your gift at the altar. Go, be reconciled to your brother, and then come back and offer your gift. Why? Because bitterness and hatred will create a wall between you and God. Now that in no way, so, so I, I don't want to minimize hurts, and I don't want to minimize sins that have been done against you. But when you hold on to bitterness, here's the thing about that. You're not making that person pay for their sins. You're you're making yourself pay for their sins time and time again. Yeah, you're you're holding somebody captive, all right, but it's yourself. So, all right, if if we recognize that in us, and listen, I think think to some level we all understand this, right? Because we we all maybe have that, can can think of times that we've been hurt and times that it's, it's wounded us deeply. And if we're honest, we'll probably recognize times that we've been slow to to forgive and slow to release that. And so the the last thing that we need to see this morning is that when that happens, Christ redirects us toward a new course. So he renews an old command. He removes an old characteristic out of us, and then he redirects us to a new course. Look Look with me at verses 10 and 11. The one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and doesn't know where he's going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So so he's saying here, as as we walk in the light, which means if we have fellowship with Christ, right? And if we have loved one another, we, we we have this light illuminating us. We can see where we're going. But if not, it's, it's like we have blinders on. We're stumbling around. If we break that fellowship, we walk in darkness, which leads to bitterness, envy, strife. The opposite of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. This is the way Jesus described this. John, John 8, 12, for instance. He says, uh, Jesus, Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Proverbs four nineteen. Man, look at this. But the way of the wicked is like the darkest gloom. They don't know what makes them stumble. Parents especially. Like, like you've, you've had to get up in the middle of the night, right? And you don't, you don't want to make a whole lot of noise. You don't want to turn on a whole lot of lights. And, and yet, inevitably, you're going to step on something, right? The worst thing ever is a Lego that, that's left stray in the, in the middle of the floor. I, I, so so th- they say that, um, you know, childbirth is maybe the most, or breaking your femur is the most intense pain a, a human being can experience. Childbirth is number two. I'm going to say that stepping on a Lego in the middle of the night is number three. Okay, that's like the third worst, worst pain that a person can experience. But, but you get that idea, right? Trying to stumble through your house in the dark, even if it's somewhere that, that you are all the time. But boy, when it's dark, you, you, you walk around like you've just learned how to walk yesterday, right? Like, like keeping hands out. Don't even know what makes them stumble. In Isaiah chapter 9, which is uh, one of the verses, one of the passages we quote a lot of times at Christmas. Talk about, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government will be upon his shoulders. 
His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Before we get into that, he says this. This is how Isaiah sets up that passage. Isaiah 9-2, he says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in a land of darkness. Again, we, we talked early in this series about these images of, of light and darkness and how light represents all that's good, all that's pure, represents the things of God, and, and darkness represents all that's false, all that's evil, the things that war against the things of God. And, and John simply says this, look, if you refuse to walk in love, you're not walking in the light. Regardless of what else you may say about your relationship with Christ, if you're not walking in love, you've missed the point. Missed the entire point. So, so the, the last question this morning is simply this, are, are you claiming to be a follower of Christ Meaning that you're, you're claiming to walk in the light and in love and in the truth, but your life tells a different story. And if that's you, you'd say, yeah, that, I think, I think that, that describes me this morning. I have, I'm struggling living in love, walking in the light, you know. Um, as we've talked about before, in 1 John chapter 4, when, when we get there in, in a few months... Um, John's going to say this, this thing that everyone understands about God or that, that everyone seems to believe about God. And he says, God is love, right? And, and, but what a lot of us want to do is we, we take those three words and we kind of mark out everything around it. And we decide that this is, this is the one thing we're going to understand about God is that God is love. And meaning, usually, that, that we, we think God is nice. And, and because God's love, he would never do anything harsh. He would never get angry with me because he's just love. And yet what we see here, what we've seen in 1 John chapter 1 and now in the first few verses of chapter 2 is that, yes, it's true, God is love. But we've also seen that God is light. He is everything good and pure and right and holy. And you cannot separate his love from his light. And if you want to walk in love the way Jesus commands us to, we only do that as we walk in the light of what God has also commanded us to do. And, and like I said earlier today, you come to love others best, particularly within the context of a local church, by getting plugged into a small group. You love others best as part of a local church. That's where it starts. Scripture doesn't give us any model for a Lone Ranger believer just kind of out there all by themselves saying, all I need is my Bible and nobody else. The, the, the Bible simply doesn't give us that model. We don't see that anywhere in the New Testament. In fact, we're consistently commanded to not do that. I realize I'm preaching to the choir, in some cases literally, right, since they but. Man, don't, don't, don't settle just for walking in this room at 1030 and, and sitting for an hour. If you do that, you're missing out on so much that, that being involved in a local body of believers has to offer. Because the place that those deep connections really happen is in a small group. And so I would encourage you, you know, look, 
we, we, love, we love everybody who walks through the doors. We, we love our members. We love those of you that are attending faithfully, haven't yet taken that step toward membership. But let me tell you, if you're not, if you're not attending regularly and moving toward membership, you're, you're, you're not obeying that command to be a part. Because inside the membership, there's, there's love, there's accountability, there's being part of a body. There's a connection that, that I think doesn't happen as long as you're just sitting in a pew. Get, get involved. Get plugged in. Love, serve, and give. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this morning. I pray that you will show us what it means to be people who walk in love. That, that we would see that command renewed in our lives each and every day. We'd be asking the question, how can I show my love for, first of all, you? And how can I show my love for others as well? God, when we get into those situations where where we're wounded, where we've been sinned against, and we're tempted to hold on to a grudge, will you remind us that you have a better way for us, that to be a follower of Christ means we don't have we don't have to carry that burden of hatred and bitterness. So I pray if, if there's anybody in this room this morning who's holding that in their heart, that you would break their hearts. You would root out that bitterness, that anger, that hatred. That we might be people who reflect the love that you've shown to us. And that you would, you would redirect us. You would show us a better way. We can follow the model of Christ. Who loved not just those who loved him back. But who loved even his enemies. This is so hard. We're, we're not good at this. We fail at this so often. So when we do. Will you remind us of the love that you have for us. Of the grace and the mercy that you've shown to us in Christ Jesus. May that, may the picture of Christ dying in our place dissolve any bitterness that we have in our heart. Knowing that you loved us so much, even in the middle of our rebellion, you sent Christ to die for us. Don't let us get over that. Let's call these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. If you'd like to contact us, please use the contact us form at www.fbcalamo.com to get in touch with us and let us know how we can pray for you or serve you. If you have a question for Pastor Kyle, you can contact him by email at kyle at fbcalamo.com. Thank you for listening. God bless you and have a good week.